0: Welcome to the Byland podcast. My name is Emery and this is episode 39 with Aaron and Danielle from Leave No Trace. <laughs> Welcome back to the Byland Podcast. My name is Emery. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to Better Backpacking. That is what this podcast is all about. And it doesn't matter if you are backcountry hunting, through hiking, or just out for the weekend. Um, We're all backpacking. That's what this podcast is all about. And I bring experts on or passionate people, all kinds of different folks to come and talk about what they do so that we can learn how they do it so we can kind of Piecemeal different bits and pieces together, bring it forward to our with us on our next trip, and uh, hopefully have a better time out there. So yeah, this is basically just a big learning podcast from uh, experts that go into the backcountry a lot. So uh, this episode is very special. It's uh, Leave No Trace, and this is an organization that specializes in educating people on how to interact with the wild places that we visit. And they and they hooked me up with Aaron and Danielle, which are traveler trainers, traveling trainers, sorry. And they basically travel around regionally and teach people about how to deal with uh, human waste and a number of other things, um, how to, uh, the impacts of like campsites on the environment. And it's all very science-based. And uh, yeah, they kind of blew my mind with this episode. So basically, this is kind of sets the foundation for how you... Um, you, you got a backpack, you got a whole, all this gear. Well, now what, you know, you're going to go camp. You're going to impact the environment. So let's lessen that as much as possible. That's what this podcast is about, man. And Aaron and Danielle are incredible. You're going to love hearing from them. Um, I'm going to let them take it away because, uh, this is a great podcast. At the end of it, there are seven principles that they touch on. So I think we started in the last 30 minutes of the episode. So that is really awesome. You're going to learn a ton there. And again, we're just stra- scratching the surface, Uh, Before we jump in, thank you so much to those of you that have left me an iTunes review and a rating. It really, really helps me out, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for doing that. That is the easiest way to help me out uh, so I can reach more people. So, yeah, without further ado, here is Aaron and Danielle from Leave No Trace. Let's do it. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I am super stoked to have you guys.
1: Yeah, us too.
0: We're really excited to be here and talk with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, uh, okay, so we talk about backpacking and we we can talk about gear and we can talk about uh, all kinds of things like how to do these things. But you guys work for Leave No Trace, which is an organization that I'll let you explain what they do. But Leave No Trace is super important when taking care of the backcountry Um, Do you guys want to take a second to introduce yourselves and what you do with Leave No Trace? Definitely. So, yeah, my name's
2: Erin.
1: I'm Danielle.
2: And we are Subaru Leave No Trace traveling trainers. So what that means, we work for the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics, which is a nationwide nonprofit based out of Boulder, Colorado. And we travel full time out of our Subaru Outback, traveling the western United States, teaching Leave No Trace to others and um, helping other people practice leave no trace in their outdoor pursuits
0: uh what how how and how long you guys been doing this for
1: um yeah we've been on the road we just started our third year so we've been living out of a Subaru (laughs) for the last two years uh
0: okay so I want to back before we jump into leave no trace I always like to kind of get some ground some like you know uh maybe not ground rules, but so it's an idea of like who are you guys like how did the, how did you become to live in how did you come to live out of a Subaru for three years teaching leave no trace practices? Um I don't you guys can go whatever order you want, but I'm curious what your guys' background are is.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a crazy job that yeah, no one tells you when you're picking careers at as a fifth <laughs> grader, right? So yeah. um yeah, we were both working for the, for, in the nonprofit area. Erin um, was doing environmental education. And my background is in um, marketing, specifically for environmental nonprofits. So okay. we heard about the job. We knew that it came up every year and really wanted to apply for it. And it kind of worked on our timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to apply and are just still super stoked that we got it. Um, and that's how we kind of fell into it.
2: Yeah, so uh, for those not familiar with it, Lead No Trace has four four teams of traveling trainers every year on the road, and so they hire for the position every year just depending on who comes off the road or who decides to keep going past the one year contract. So mm. every year they're looking for teams of two to uh live out of a car for a year.
0: That is uh, And live
3: together twenty
0: four seven. Uh what's that like? What it, what's it like living out of a Subaru? <laughs>
1: Ooh. Cozy. It's cozy. Um, <laughs> um, I would say what we normally describe it as is it's all peaks and valleys. I yeah. think it, it really it really is exactly what it sounds like. I mean, sometimes our 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 life is just so incredible and we're on such a high and mm-hmm. get to go to such incredible places and meet incredible people and really do some soul searching that a lot of people just don't get the opportunity to do because of limited budget budgets or time or whatever else and then other times we're
2: covered in mosquito bites, covered yeah, in mosquito yeah. bites
1: <laughs> and are ready to throw our stove into the woods because it's not working oh, and yeah. um you know having those moments too yeah. which make us stronger and make us better and yeah so it really is ups and downs but we keep signing up for another year so we obviously really like it well yeah. what
0: keeps you guys going back for more i mean it sounds like that's Living in a car, I mean, that's sounds like adventurous to some, uh, not adventurous to others, but, I, I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing some really good things, and we'll get into that, but what is it that keeps you guys coming back for more year after year?
2: Um, I think what's really played into our decisions is just we haven't felt done with our work yet. I mean, okay. after our first year, we really felt like, man, we're just getting this down. We're just finally like getting our spiel right about Leave No mm-hmm. Trace. We're finally... All of our systems on the road are clicking. Why would we stop it now? Yeah. Um, and after our second year, we're like, okay, now we're pros at this. Now we can really, we're ha- really having fun seeing the country. We're getting to do a lot of cool exploring. So let's mm-hmm. take it around for around three.
1: Yeah, it was definitely really difficult our first year, and our communication has just gotten so good, and mm-hmm. we've learned so much about ourselves and about each other that it's it's really hard to leave leave something that um, you know, it's it's so fulfilling for our lives, something we haven't experienced in, in our day jobs before taking (laughs) this. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to leave. We do think that our third year will be our last year. Okay. So we're, we're excited to, uh, maybe do a little more nesting (laughs) than we normally would at some point, but we're excited for the work we're going to do this year. Mm.
0: Sweet. Well, uh, let's get into leave no trace. Um, you, uh, Aaron and I were kind of talking before we started recording it. it, I kind of described it as this, I know of back, I know of leave no trace practices, but, uh, you actually hit head on, you know, the nail on the head when you were like, yeah, you know, people think it's just like pack it in, pack it out. Um, uh, but there's so much that goes into it and, and we can always learn more. Uh, wh- where did leave no trace start? What's, what is the organization that you guys work for? Why is it there, and what's the point of like Leave No Trace, I guess? Definitely. So uh,
2: Leave No Trace as an organization has been around uh, since 1993. So we're coming up on um, 25 years as as an actual nonprofit. But I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners know that Leave No Trace as a concept has been around much longer than that. It's been Mm -hmm. around for decades. Um, The the farthest that we can officially trace it back is kind of into the 1960s. The Forest Service had a program called No Trace Camping Mm -hmm. for when people were going out into wilderness areas, kind of with the passage of the Wilderness Act in 1964. So the concept's been around for a while. And the reason that the organization came about was out of this um, big annual outdoor recreation summit in 1993 between a lot of members of the outdoor industry, lots of federal land managers, um, lots of other nonprofit organizations, Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School was there.
3: Okay.
2: Uh, and they basically all decided to, that we needed one unifying set of messaging. And so that's why they created Leave No Trace as a program. And the whole idea is that we serve as the main hub of all Leave No Trace education and messaging all across the country. And mm-hmm. it's coming from one unified source rather than all these kind of okay. patchwork sources across the country.
0: Hmm. Um, and how, how big is the organization today? We're we're small but mighty. There's about 20 full-time employees for Leave No
2: Trace. So there's about oh, wow. 12 at the main office in Boulder and eight traveling trainers. And so paid full-time staff, there's not a lot of us, but we actually have almost 40,000 volunteers across the country who are trained in Leave No Trace who are able to teach it to other people. And we can kind of dive into that training structure later too. But it's a really cool opportunity to spread the Leave No Trace movement across the country without needing this huge staff.
1: Yeah, and I'd just add, like Erin mentioned, it really is a movement. So Mm -hmm. we have um, memorandums of understanding with all the land managers. So National Park Service, um, Bureau of Land Management, the Forest Service um, are all kind of using our language in signage or their permitting so that we can um, make sure that people are getting this information no matter what public land they're on. So they're not getting different information um based on where they're going but it, mm. it really is the same that way it's just how we conduct ourselves when we're in these wild places
3: yeah
1: um especially because most people don't understand the difference between blm land or forest service land so we really try to make it easy for people to just understand that it's all outdoor spaces hmm. um yeah
3: and
2: yeah the great thing of that we really like about leave no trace and it's kind of been interesting as the organization has evolved when we first started out in the in the 90s we were specifically for backpacking. So all of our messaging was, if you're going in the wilderness, here's how you practice Leave No Trace. And um, over the years, our program has really evolved and adapted. So now Leave No Trace is everywhere from a 10-day backpacking trip in the mountains of Montana to a 10-minute walk in a city park and literally everything in between. I mean, last year when Pokemon Go was a really big phase, we actually had Leave No Trace tips for Pokemon Go because people were getting outside. And so we wanted to teach Hmm. them how to do it responsibly.
1: Yeah, and that, that became important because we found that only about um,
2: like five to ten percent of people ever actually visit and stay overnight in a wilderness area. So we were missing ninety percent of outdoor users,
1: and seeing large impacts from those groups. So it became an issue of um, yeah. you know wanting to meet people where those impacts are, and a lot of times, you know, that's in the front what we would call the front country as opposed to back country. So we yeah. needed to have language for them and opportunities for them to learn this stuff.
2: And that's what's that's what I really like kind of you talking about how your show is framed in terms of it's anytime you're out backpacking, whether you're going on a big trip, or one day, whether you're mm. hunting, the same thing with Leave No Trace. We honestly don't it doesn't matter what you're doing outside, there's a leave no trace way to do it and still allow you to do that thing. So it's it's a really inclusive um movement.
0: So um man, where do we start? I guess like you know, if I <laughs> I I know that's probably like a really hard cuz I know that's hard to do but I'm just thinking my my mind's kind of like popping with all these different things like I'm trying to backtrack and be like okay so where do I even begin like are there other misconceptions do you start with misconceptions about taking care of of wild places or what's I guess what's the point what's the big yeah. deal about this I think the the biggest place to start, I think, is just the reason
2: why Leave okay. No Trace is so important.
1: Yeah, and so um, what we find is that there are 13 billion visits to public lands every year. Okay, so That's oftentimes when That's yeah, a lot. It's a lot. That's and we're a lot. in these places, and, yeah, we're in these places sometimes, and it feels like we're alone. It feels like we're out in the middle of nowhere, which is awesome. That's yeah. why we go sometimes. Um, and so it's really hard to understand that we would have an impact in the outdoors maybe if it's just us um but the truth is is that we're really looking at these cumulative impacts that every visit into the outdoors it doesn't seem like much but when you have 13 billion visits to public lands and we start seeing the impact of 13 Mm -hmm. billion people on public lands um we're gonna have really big issues and so some of the biggest issues that we see when people don't practice leave no trace is areas um, either get shut down, they get closed to public recreation because mm-hmm. it's just too much of a hazard on in the area, or it goes to a permit system, which oh, you know we yeah. think that it's awesome that you can just go on a trail and you don't have to go through like airport security to get there, and people aren't checking that you have all the things you need mm-hmm. to be prepared on a backpacking trip and that you're, you're not gonna um, you know, cause those big impacts in the outdoors. So we wanna keep our public lands open. <laughs>
3: um,
1: and so that just means for us having a little bit more personal responsibility when we're out there so that we can have these, these places open to us. And so we say, you know, we're always making more people and we're really not making more public land so how can we treat these places in a way that allows other people to go and experience what what we have when we're in those places and how it's affected us
3: and
2: the whole idea is that the whole idea behind leave no trace is that anytime we go outside we're going to make an impact right like every yeah. footstep down the trail packs down that trail a little mm-hmm. bit more so leave no trace is a physical impossibility we recognize that but our our kind of joke is that it wouldn't look very good if we said, you know, hi, I'm Aaron. This is Danielle. We're from leave a little trace, right? That just doesn't have <laughs> the same ring to it. So ultimately what we're really striving for as an organization and as a movement is to minimize our impact as much as possible. We know every time we go outside, we're going to have some sort of impact. So how do we minimize it? And that's really what leave no trace is all about. Cause like Danielle mentioned, there's all of these cumulative impacts. So if we just minimize those as much as possible, we're really going to do, a uh, a good collective job of protecting ecosystems and the environments that we like to visit.
1: Can you? Yeah, and I say, I say, just, um, just two things that we kind of always start with of of things that people might know not know about the organization is that um, one is that we're science based, okay. so we conduct our own research on human related impacts in the outdoors. And then we're doing research on how to change behavior in the outdoors. So huh. all of our tips are research-based. So if you've ever heard that you need to dig a six- to eight-inch cat hole, um, if you have to go to the bathroom in the outdoors, it's mm-hmm. because there is actually a Forest Service study where some poor forest researcher dug piles, um, dug piles of human waste in, in different depths and, and researched how long it would take to decompose at oh, wow. those different depths. and found that at six to eight inches, that's where most of the microbial activity is in the soil. It's going to break down your waste the, quic- the quickest. And our bacteria in human waste can sometimes last one to two years. So that's why it's so important to get away from water um, and at that depth. So all of the <laughs> tips that you ever hear from Leave No Trace are all based in science. Um, so we're not just making this stuff up in yeah. Boulder thinking that it sounds good. It's 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 really coming from the from the science and um, what we always say is that you can't though go hand someone who's new to backpacking a five page research study you have to boil it down and that's where leave no trace comes in and mm-hmm. in, in building effective messaging so that um, people can get in no matter where they are on the spectrum of knowledge about backpacking or knowledge about leave no trace.
0: Hmm. Uh, so. The the risks. I think. What is it that most people, when you when you're talking to someone, what's the, what's the aha moment? Because when you're when you guys are mentioning risks to the backcountry, and you were talking about, you know, it is really fascinating. I was actually talking to uh, someone from the the Idaho Trail Association the other day, and we were talking about how crazy it is that you can just go to any, for the most part, any trail system, jump on the trail for free or very for a very minor, minor fee, um, and, and just use it as you see fit. Um, and the idea that when you, when you mentioned, uh, you know, trail systems getting shut down or areas getting shut down because of, because of damage to the environment, uh, that, that makes me really sad. And I would imagine that makes me, that makes a lot of people upset or, you know, the thought of that really, it's, it's upsetting or saddening. Um, are there any other risks? Like how does it, what would it take to get to that point? And you guys are trying to prevent those wild places from getting shut down. But eventually, if there's so much damage done by people, I mean, they have no choice, right?
2: Yeah, it's a really tough decision for land managers to have to make that call. And I know um, just in our travels, what, what usually comes to the forefront of the, land, of the minds of public land managers, uh, a lot of times it's, it's human waste concerns, if there's a lot of human waste yeah in the area you know if people aren't burying it if it's too close to water sources and contaminating that water source that's a big issue Mm
3: -hmm.
2: wildlife concerns are another big issue if wildlife are getting habituated to humans and even worse if they're becoming habituated with food conditioning that's a really big concern Um, we see a lot of campfire impacts both from illegal campfires or even legal campfires that end up attracting trash and then attracting wildlife Uh, and then we find a lot of trail widening and trail erosion campsite areas becoming um denuded of vegetation um to the point where they're just these big wide sandy dust traps and so
3: hmm.
2: um there's a consequence you know where there might be potential for permit systems or, man- or heavy-handed management but there's also some serious ecosystem impacts even if a place isn't slated to be permitted or, or shut down or more heavily regulated there's some pretty significant ecosystem damages occurring from um I guess, misguided recreation on public lands. Yeah.
1: And just an example of that is um, last year, there was a study that came out that found traces of pharmaceuticals in Alpine lakes. (laughs) Um, And that's, that's backpackers. That's us. That's Mm -hmm. us pooping and and urinating way too close to water sources. So there's, there's really no reason why that should be in Alpine lakes besides us. And um, so there, there there's so many things we can do that just, when we're out there to think about and to change our behavior on really easy stuff that we can adopt that goes a really long way, especially when there's all those visits to to public lands. Uh,
0: you, you guys mentioned a couple of things a moment ago about, uh, you know, trail widening um, campsites, campfires. Uh, you know, I think those are really good examples of things that most people probably don't think about. Uh, they mostly think, yeah just don't okay bury your crap and then take your trash out right leave no i I did it congratulations right um but you you mentioned fire pits, established campsites, and trail widening uh why are those uh, let's start with like the i I'm just out of my own curiosity established campsites. Uh, where's the balance there? I know that like I hiked, uh, the PCT and there's a ca- established campsites along the trail and they said, Hey, you know, try to stick to a ca- established sites, but you know, there's like this weird balance. Like where's the balance on established sites versus don't, don't use those or don't overuse them.
3: Yeah.
2: It's a, uh, it's a real gray area. And just to kind of take a step back for a second, the yeah. critical thing with leave no trace is that, um, There are no leave no trace rules that's uh i think that's the you kind of talked about misconceptions i think that's a big misconception that there's these black and white hard and fast leave no trace rules what it really boils down to is that leave no trace is a, a framework for decision making we want people to just think critically when they're in the outdoors to minimize those impacts and so that's why we have our seven principles of leave no trace and so if all we cared about was was poop and trash, we'd only have two principles and it'd say dispose, or we'd have one principle and it'd say dispose of waste properly. But we have set principles ranging from traveling and camping on durable surfaces and planning ahead and prepare all the way up to respecting wildlife and being considerate of other visitors. Um, So there's a lot that falls under the umbrella of Leave No Trace. Um, And so when it comes to things, getting back to the example of, uh, we call it campsite creep, when our campsites start to get bigger and bigger and more kind of bombed out, so to speak, Mm -hmm. or trail widening, there's kind of a gray area when it comes to pristine areas or areas that are just starting to show impact, like a lot of the places on the PCT. Um, And that's where we want people to just use their best judgment. Um, Obviously we want people to camp in, we'd rather you camp in an area that is packed down impacted dirt versus wet meadow grass. You know, we want people to think about where they're going to camp out, right? But ultimately it's, it's choosing services that are going to bounce back quickly after we use them. Uh, just a couple interesting research kind of tidbits out of Leave No Trace's world. There was a study on camping impacts uh, and found that for vegetation, it would take about eight years for a campsite to recover after it had been camped on for just four nights.
0: And that's, oh man, what kind of, oh, okay, can you explain, like, what yeah. kind of, that's pretty shocking. What is that, yeah. when, when when someone hears that, what are they like, the, I, we all probably have done that, I would imagine, but Perfect. didn't know we were doing the damage or impacting it that much. What are you talking about yeah, when you so, say, like, vegetation?
2: Yeah, so it's a study done by these guys, Cole and Mons, um, kind of big leaders in the out, uh, recreation ecology field. A um, couple things they found. They found that forest sites lost about half their vegetation cover and plant height was reduced by half after just one night of camping. So huh. essentially what we're finding is that you set up your tent on somewhere, you sleep on it for a night you sleep on it maybe four nights and you're packing down all that vegetation Mm -hmm. and then you get up and leave and walk away and then the next person comes and sees all that vegetation packed down and sets up their tent on it and keeps packing it down and so what we're asking people to do is essentially it's a technique called fluff the duff after you leave those pristine areas you want to kind of prop the plants back up if there's if you're camping on pine duff you want to kind of Restore it to its fluffy natural setting instead of its kind of packed down setting. You want to mm-hmm. renaturalize the area as much as possible, and
1: that's just discouraging people that come after you from maybe not knowing about Leave No Trace and and camping on that same site and doing doing more damage. So, um, just kind of going back to your campsite example, and like Aaron mentioned, it is a framework for decision making. But our job is to to give people the best research and give people. Well, we, we would recommend in different situations. I know there's a lot of questions that we get of like, "What about this? What about this?" And it really is—it depends.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but we can give you the best info. So, for us, if there is a designated site, it is always best to just des- to to camp in those already designated sites that are mm-hmm. already impacted, um, and that that just makes sure that you don't do further damage around the area that's unnecessary. Um, a lot of times. Those sites have just been designated as this is where we're going to sacrifice. So if we can have everyone stay in those sacrificed areas, that's going to be best. A lot of times you are camping in like pristine sites. So um, a site that isn't a designated campground. And that's when you would fluff the dust and you would try to make it look like you didn't camp there so that someone else doesn't see it and camp there again. Um, and then we have really specific information for like alpine areas where the vegetation is, is really, really sensitive. And in those areas, we would just recommend that you move your tent each night. So you just pick it up and move it 10 feet off Hmm. that kind of square where your, your tent was. Mm -hmm. And that just helps that vegetation get sunlight. Um, so it, it doesn't, it's not dead because you camped there two days, but it's able to, to get a little regrowth, um, so it's just kind of kind of small things, and it it depends on your on where you are and what you're doing, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it helps kind of guide these situations where, like you said, people just don't know or don't think about. Um, they're just you know trying to have a good time. So we're we're able to meet them where they are and get them further on the spectrum of minimizing their impacts.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned the difference in like alpine leave no trace technique. Um, cause I, w- I wanted to ask you, like, do the, do these techniques vary from region to region, climate to climate? Um, and I guess that answers my question. I'm, pr- I'm pr- probably sure. I mean, you guys do entire, I would imagine clinics for very long periods of time, uh, discussing these in whatever region you're in. Um, so we could probably talk for hours on. Okay, let's talk about leave no trace in the desert. And you're like, oh great, that's another hour or two, you know. Um, so it sounds yeah, like every for five hurts. days. About it. <laughs> yeah, like that's my. I do a five day desert clinic, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and we do. So our our biggest level trainings are our master educator courses, where we take people out into the field for five days wow. and teach them as much as we can about leave no trace. We if, still don't cover it all. that. We don't cover it all. Um, because like you said, the, the information is really nuanced depending on where you are. Yeah. So one of the biggest tips we have is just look up what it is for your area. Talk to the, your land manager or talk to the people that are managing the area that you're going to visit and talk to them. Um, some of the, the smaller ones that I can just tell you right now is, Um, In desert environments, usually your cat hole, the hole you dig if you have to go to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. is four to six inches deep instead of six to eight inches deep in forest environments. And that's because the microbial um, activity in the soil is a little bit higher in the desert than it would be in forest environments. Um, And then in alpine areas, kind of a, a very specific leave no trace tip for alpine areas is we really encourage people to urinate on a rock instead oh. of on vegetation and that's because a lot of the um the alpine animals the mountain goats and sheep and things like that that are are up in our mountains they're actually salt deficient so they seek out our urine because it has salt in it so if you <laughs> pee on a plant or a bush they come and rip up the vegetation and they're seeing serious vegetation loss in places like the enchantments in washington and other high yeah. past, high alpine really high vegetation areas and so if you pee on a rock, the animals um, will come and lick the rock, but they're not going to tear up vegetation. So there's all these little tips based on oh. where you are and where you're going. It's really fun to learn. It's been, it's been really neat, and that's why we love being able to travel the country and really meet people where they are so we can talk really specifically about the issues that they're seeing in the area that they're most likely going to visit multiple times.
0: Dude, I like how this is all science <laughs> based it's not just like someone's probably going to be like uh some hippy dippy leave no trace don't don't yeah. bring your trash you know and you're like no actually like you this example of like peeing on a rock and I'm like okay that's kind of weird and then you're like oh yeah cuz the goats yeah. come by and they tear it up the grass and you're like oh okay I get it and like those <laughs> those alpine yeah. environments are sensitive i mean they're under snow yeah. I, mean, I don't know much about them but i would imagine that something that's under snow for you know all winter long only has a short period of time to to repair itself yeah and the biggest thing we found that's helpful in communicating leave no trace is just always
2: giving people a reason why it's it's really not enough yeah. to say pack it in pack it out or it's, it's not enough to say bury your poop people need to understand the reason why so yeah we bury our poop because it takes a long time to decompose and it can contaminate water sources um we always just try to try to add that why in there as much mm-hmm. as possible. And
1: that's what we find Leave No Trace is really able to help with on the land management side is we consult with land managers all across the country to better communicate their enforcement messaging. Because a lot of times they know why the rules exist and they'll, you know, tell people they need to do this or do that and there's really no no communication of the science that backs that. Yeah. Um so we're we're able to, to really drive home why these issues are important because the science is there we have a lot of it we're just not in the best way communicating that on trailhead signage or in permits where the language can be limited um so yeah it's important stuff for people to know
0: Hmm. well i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast how uh i think a lot of this is something that people think about but they mostly overlook it when they they're they're getting into backpacking they're like, oh, let me look up all this gear. Let me look look up this trail and these techniques. And I want to try hunting or I want to try through hiking. But they they this is another key component because like you said, when you go into the backcountry, you're going to you're going to leave some sort of impact. It's just a matter of how, what the impact is. Um it, would you guys mind taking like a few minutes and kind of running through uh best I mean from start to finish, like if I'm if I am uh, going into the backcountry, if I'm planning a backpacking trip, what do I need to, how, how do I put myself in the frame of mind of like, leave no trace? Like, where do I start and where do I finish?
2: Yeah. Um, so bear with us. We are ramblers. So if at any time, I love way Yeah. Uh, feel free to cut us off though. Cause okay. we can literally, we can talk for hours on this, but I think what'll be helpful. We'll just kind of run through our seven principles and just give you, kind of one or two bullets under each one that's going to be helpful for a backpacking trip. Perfect. Uh, So our first principle is plan ahead and prepare. And this one really sets you up for success. It helps you practice the rest of the leave-no-trace principles. So the whole idea is that if you plan ahead and you bring a trowel to dig a hole, or if you look up the regulations and you find out that you have to actually pack out your human waste and you bring a wag bag with you, you're going to leave less of an impact because you looked up that info ahead of time. Um, So this involves looking up kind of wildlife in the area if there's fire restrictions uh, where there's camping on the trail where there's water on the trail is it accessible just all of these little things that you can look up before your trip that's gonna really help you succeed
1: yeah and that becomes important because I mean our simplest example is if you don't bring your rain jacket and it starts downpouring you probably really don't care about not cutting switchbacks it's like you're just trying to get to your car so we yeah. see a lot of times in the situation Leave no trace is usually the first thing that goes out the window when you're concerned about your your safety or just your, your you know, comfort in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. The other reason why it's important is because um, of, of preventative search and rescue. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, of cost for land managers. I know Grand Canyon has...
2: Grand Canyon at one point was spending like over a hundred million dollars a year on their search and rescue program.
1: What? Yeah and so um, we're really trying to save our land managers money in some sense because there are so many services that we need and so much that they're trying to protect that the less they can spend on search and rescue or trucking um, out our trash would be another example. It It, it goes a long way to just preserve these places so a lot of times people don't think of that as as a way to leave no trace is just take care of yourself in the Mm -hmm. the outdoors Um, check your ego look up regulations have a real map with you all those little things that seem common sense to people have been doing this for a while and just you know maybe maybe not for um, people that can you know think they can just walk outside and be okay
2: Mm -hmm. Um, our second principle is travel and camp on durable surfaces and just really quick to define what we mean by the word durable. It's it's a surface that's essentially not going to be damaged by our use, and it's going to bounce back relatively quickly after our use. So, rock, for example, is a very durable surface. We're not going to damage it. Trail's a durable surface. It was built for us. It was built for us. So, it's it meant to withstand our impacts. On the other side, uh, wildflower fields and uh, wet meadow grasses are not very durable. They're going to be. Uh, pretty significantly damaged by walking through them so we just encourage people to think about the impact that their footstep is going to have on that surface
1: and so this is where our recommendations of um you know moving your tenting tonight if you're in the alpine area or mm-hmm. using established campsites already um i'd say a few for hiking so leave no Trace isn't against hiking off trail there's lots of times when you might need to hike off trail we're recommending that you go away from trails to go to the bathroom. So obviously we're even recommending that you go off trail, but we want you to find those durable surfaces on the way there. Um, and our research is actually showing that, um, just 25 passes over, um, vegetation can, um, can dramatically reduce that plant height and to the point where it doesn't always come back for up to five to 10 years. So, Um, we actually really recommend that people spread out if you're with a group and you're going off trail. So don't walk single file, Hmm. um, all take a different way. And that way you're not having so much impact on a few plants, but you're having a little bit of impact on a lot of plants and Mm -hmm. they're, they're probably able to come back after that. Hmm. Um, so, you know, hiking off trail.
2: The other big thing we talk about when you think about setting up your camp, especially if you're hiking with a group and backpacking with a group of friends, um, you know, most people... To liken it to a house party, most people at a house party end up in the kitchen. And the same thing is true for our campsites. Most people end up around the kitchen area. Mm-hmm. So I always encourage people to choose the most durable surface in your campsite for your kitchen area. Because that's going to that's gonna be the one where everyone's walking around it, setting your stove on, sitting mm-hmm. around it. Uh, so that should, that one should be like a rock slab or a patch of bare dirt, something that's going to more easily absorb your impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and then one of the recommendations we really love, especially for kids, is, um, is to walk through the mud. So if there's if there's mud on the trail, a lot of people will walk around it, and you end up killing vegetation on the side of the trail,
3: mm-hmm. and you actually
1: make that mud puddle wider. And so we've seen trails that because of um, because of mud impacts, they just get huge. These trails just become a kind of dusty trap hit. that um, our our land managers actually spend a lot of money on trail maintenance every year, and so. A lot of that just goes down to walking through the mud and getting your boots dirty and planning ahead and preparing and, and having, um, you know, good shoes with you that you feel comfortable doing that. But we want to protect that vegetation on the sides of the trails because it's awesome to see cool stuff when we're hiking and yeah. keep those trails narrow and, and less money for our land managers to come in and fix. Um, our
2: third principle, is a big one. It's disposed waste properly. It's the one that most people think of mm-hmm. when they think about leave no trace. Um, we're, we don't need to talk too much about trash because I think most people get it. But one yeah. thing we always try to mention, even things like banana peels, apple cores, pistachio shells, sunflower seeds, we encourage people to pack all of that out. We still consider it trash. It's a big concern there. It's not that it's the worst thing in the world for the environment. It's not that it's the worst thing in the world for uh, for wildlife to ingest it. What it does end up doing, though, is attracting wildlife closer to humans. So okay. I know in my lifetime, I've been I've been guilty of checking apple cores out of my car window, not the Leave No Trace car, obviously, mm-hmm. but in the prior Leave No Trace. And we found that actually attracts wildlife to roadways where they get hit by cars. And hmm. that same principle applies in the backcountry. If, if we're leaving our food scraps at camp or on the sides of trails, wildlife start learning that that's a place where they can get food from humans. And once that habituation with food conditioning starts and they start peeking out other rewards like trail mix or Cheetos from other people who might not be as educated about those impacts. That's when wildlife really start to get aggressive. They change their, they start altering their natural behaviors. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of times to land managers having to eradicate that wildlife, either relocating them or even exterminating them. So we always encourage people to pack out all trash, including food scraps and biodegradable items.
1: Yeah, I see that the other side of trash is, and the big misconception that we see is burning trash. So we find a lot of trash in campsites, which hmm. it sucks to see as a as a camper going in and there's a fire pit full of trash. Um, but they're, you know, burning trash also introduces heavy metals into ash. Um, and I uh, just reading up
2: that there's a lot of also just hazard toxic chemicals like oh, lead, okay. mercury, pentane, styrene, toluene, xylene, like all these carcinogens and hydrocarbons that are released by burning trash and uh one we're inhaling that it's it's not very considerate of future visitors who use that campfire ring and don't know that the previous people burned a bunch of styrofoam in it Mm -hmm. um and then we've also seen wildlife eating out of campfire rings and so that's really harmful for their health so we always encourage people to pack out all of their trash rather than burning it yeah
1: um and then i'd say this principle also covers how to do your dishes in the back, in the outdoors, or the back country, um, poop in the woods. how to poop in the woods. And mm-hmm. the, the big thing there when we're talking about um, human waste, even if it's gray water or toothpaste, we're always going to be away from water sources. Um, and that's because we're really concerned about the pollutants in our water and that trickling down into our communities and into our cities. Um, and the, and the wildlife. So all those macro invertebrates that live in our stream systems and really are the building blocks for all life. Um, so we just want to make sure we're not polluting that stuff. So you would take water out of the river and do your dishes away Mm -hmm. from water, but never doing your dishes directly in the water can really help. Um, even biodegradable soap, um, takes about five years to break down and it usually needs a certain temperature of water to break down and our, our water systems are too cold for that stuff. So it ends up staying a lot longer. So even biodegradable soap, you're always doing your dishes away from water sources.
2: And so the, the big recommendation, whether it's camping or going to the bathroom or doing your dishes, we always recommend that people be 200 feet away from water sources. Okay. And for me, I, I could not point and tell you how far 200 feet is. I'm really bad with depth perception. And I think a lot of other people are as well. <laughs> Um, especially when you throw in hills and rocks and boulders and trees. And, um, so what we say is 70 big steps. If you can get 70 big steps away from the water source, that's going to get you relatively close enough to 200 feet to prevent any of those pollutants from reaching that water source.
0: Hmm. You guys are pretty good at this. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm I'm super impressed. (laughs) I'm like, I'm soaking this all in. You guys are, I can tell you guys have done this for a while and, uh, yeah, I keep going. I'm enjoying it.
3: Yeah. Yeah
2: we've done I'm, we've done 88 events just in 2018 so far so we're, yeah. we're a little it's only TV.
0: june <laughs> <laughs> i
2: know, I
1: know. <laughs> um yeah so our our next principle is leave what you find and this is really our most like ethical okay. our most um yeah it's kind of intrinsic. intrinsic intrinsic principle and the whole idea is that Um, we really want people to think about the things that they take from the outdoors. Mm -hmm. So it really is a conversation with yourself of what are you, what are you really going to do with that item? Um, so a lot of times we find people take shells or fossils or Mm -hmm. antlers and it ends up in a box under their bed. Um, and so for me, it really comes down to, You know, it's probably better left in that area. There's actually a lot of research that shows that antlers and fossils are great calcium Mm -hmm. nutrients for soil systems and for other um, other rodents living in the area. So
0: um,
1: all that stuff kind of functions in a different way that you might not know of. Um, But it really is kind of a conversation internally. Um, What we say, you know, a lot of times that there there is a connection between exploring the outdoors and nature play and um, picking up things and turning them around and all that stuff and environmentalism. And we need more environmentalists um, in our world. So Mm. we we don't want to discourage people from having a connection from nature. um, But we want people to think about, you know, maybe you pick your favorite one. Maybe if you have a rock like that already, you don't take it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just thinking about those items that we collect and and if they're really adding value for me if I see something really cool in the outdoors um I do want to leave it because it might inspire some kid who comes by to enjoy nature and to have that kind of awe moment and Mm. I'm already an environmentalist I already love all these rocks um and I don't I don't need to kind of own them to, to remember that I'm that I'm an environmentalist. So, yeah. kind of thinking about it in those terms can be helpful. But under this one, we also talk about invasive species. So, um, invasive species are the third biggest environmental concern of our time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So we talk to people about checking their boots before they leave an area, um, making sure they don't have seeds in their in their tires, um, taking a brush to your mountain bike tires. Um, dogs are really great transporters of invasive species. So checking their fur before you leave the area. Um, If you're going into cave systems, you know, checking for white nose syndrome and always cleaning your gear. If you're going into aquatic areas, um, making sure you're, you know, kind of following the clean, drain and dry your boat and equipment. And that goes a really long way um, because once invasive species are, are here, Um, It's really hard to manage they're not going to go away anytime soon So things like that to just kind of check your gear and be thinking about those seeds
2: Yeah, our fifth principle is uh, minimize campfire impacts and this one's really important because uh, I think in 2016 84% of wildfires in the u.s. Were caused by humans Um, and to me that's a good source of optimism because that means that up to 84 percent of wildfires are preventable by humans so sure, yeah. there's a lot that we can do as, as backpackers to minimize that and just a perfect example popped up in our news feed today there's a wildfire burning in nevada right now that was caused by two people who were burning their toilet paper um and it's a 500 acre fire now just in the last day and so we really encourage people to think about the impact that they're going to have you know in that case maybe leaving the toilet paper would have sucks for someone else to find but it would have been far less impactful than burning the toilet paper so Mm
3: -hmm. always
2: encouraging people to be careful with fire minimize those impacts Um, a big thing when we're out backpacking is collecting the right type of firewood for having campfires Um, Mm -hmm. we don't want to discourage people from from having those fires but we want to make sure that we're uh, we have kind of what we call the d's of collecting firewood so we want firewood to be um dead. We never want to collect live limbs that are still functioning parts of trees. Mm -hmm. We want them to be down on the ground. so They've fallen off. They're down on the ground. They're dead. We want them to be um, what's called dinky, which means small, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that means about the diameter of your wrist and about the length of your forearm. And that's because those smaller logs have more surface area. So they're actually going to give you a hotter and brighter fire. Mm -hmm. And it helps leave those bigger logs, those big nutrient containing logs, To be able to break down and release those nutrients back into the soil they provide really great habitat for um, insects for lizards for rodents Uh, so we really encourage people to leave those big kind of appealing bonfire logs alone and collect that smaller wood and then the last d is distant kind of walk a little bit of ways before collecting your firewood because i think we can all remember those places where we've got set up our camp and then looked around and there's not a scrap of firewood in the area because it's just been picked clean of all that dead and down wood. And that's when people start ripping branches off trees. So we always encourage people to just walk a little bit of ways to collect their firewood. And then the last part with having a campfire is just always making sure it's completely out. Uh, A lot of our fires, a lot of times people have this conception that you can just throw some sand over it and call it good and walk away. And what that ends up doing is just extinguishing the flame, but keeping the cold hot underneath and almost insulating them. But if a breeze comes along and uncovers that sand it can come right back to flame so we always encourage people to use lots of water to drown their campfires essentially you should be able to touch the coals of your campfire with the back of your hand before walking away from it and if you're not willing to touch the coals of your campfire it means you're not ready to walk away from it yet um so obviously we're not telling people to touch hot coals we want to make sure that they're drowning it with lots of water so that they're not gonna burn themselves when they do that. We yeah. want their campfires to be dead out.
1: And it really doesn't take long. It, it took us like thirty seconds. It's just a different way to think about this stuff than right. just walking away. Yeah. Um our our fifth principle is respect wildlife. Um and this one, you know, goes back into to not leaving food scraps and um some of the other principles we talked about that go a long way to protect that wildlife. But We also talked about, you know, how to store your food away from, from bears and other rodents too. Um, I know raccoons and crows are a growing, a growing um, concern, concern for sure with land managers and and them getting in trash at campgrounds. Um, So lots of things that just store our trash from that, from those types of animals. And then a, a big tip we always have is to stay a safe distance away from wildlife. So, um, you know, we want to stay a safe distance away. One is to just help prevent um, any of that habituation. So animals should have a healthy fear of humans. It keeps them safe in the long mm-hmm. term. Um, and for our own own safety, we want to stay a safe distance away. I know we heard this really awful story um, in a location we were just working in the San Juan Islands in Washington. And a visitor was getting too close to a deer and the deer ran and was scared and ended up actually running off a cliff. Oh. Um, and so there's a there's a lot of damage that we do just by getting too close to, to animals. I know we've been in areas where um, animals, you know, run from, from the area and they were actually with their babies. And so they end up abandoning their babies because they were, mm. you know, they were scared from a visitor getting too close. So most land managers say that you want to be like, 100 yards from bears and wolves and 25 yards away from everything else. But like Aaron mentioned, with that 200 feet, people really don't know those distances. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you what 100 yards is. So um, we use this trick. It's called the thumb trick. And it's a little hard to talk over it instead of just showing you. But the whole idea is that...
2: Hopefully all your listeners can do this in their car yeah. or wherever they are.
1: So you extend, you extend your arm completely out in front of you. Make sure your arm's not bent. Okay. And then put up your thumb, put up your thumb, and have your your other fingers folded. Um, and then you're going to close one eye, and whatever you're looking at, whatever animal you see, you're going to try to cover that animal with your thumb. And if you can see any part of the animal around your thumb, it means you're too close, and you need to you need to back up. That's um,
3: good.
1: And so we love that tip because it depends on the size of the animal, right? If right. It's a raccoon or a beaver or something, you can be a little bit closer than you would to, you know, a bear. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the big tip around that is if the animal has babies with it, you would want to cover the entire family
3: Mm. just because
1: wildlife is going to be more aggressive if they have babies with it. And um, And then always, if the animal notices your presence, if it's obviously getting concerned about how close you are and is, you know, waiting to see if you attack, it's time to move on. You're, you're altering their natural process. So just giving them that respect goes a long way. Um, I know in a lot of areas there can be bear jams because someone sees a bear and all the cars stop Um, or where we were just in the islands off Washington, you know, someone sees an orca and these, these boats of tourists just circle it. Um,
2: Yellowstone had three wildlife attacks or incidents last week alone, um, people getting too close and harassing wildlife. So we always encourage people to just be respectful of these these animals. They're wild animals in their natural
1: habitat. We want to be respectful of that. Yeah. And i say the very last thing on, well, not the very last, but <laughs> one of the last things on wildlife that we like to mention is um, I know across the country um, wildlife managers and lay managers get calls all the time about baby deer, um, and Mm. baby bison in a lot of ways. But um, a lot of times, mom deers will um, leave their young, it's called dropping. Mm -hmm. And so they leave their young in one place, and then they go and and walk around and find food for the rest of the day, and will leave them for hours. And there's been a lot of instances of people thinking that the, the baby deer was in trouble. And so they end up taking it from the area and bringing it to a vet you know the land manager or veterinarian or something or they try to feed it or something like that and so we really just try to educate that a lot of times when we think that we're helping and that we're doing good we're we're actually harming mm-hmm. um and so being knowledgeable about those areas those animals can really help but if you're not sure don't do anything mm-hmm. um and for me those situations you know, it sucks if that animal were to die. And I think it's human instinct to want to help. But even if that animal did die, it goes back into this, this natural process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, just kind of thinking about the ways that we can, we can help these animals sometimes means not getting involved.
0: Hmm. And then our
2: last principle, our seventh one kind of wraps it all up in a nice, tight, leave-no-trace burrito. Uh, we call it the uh, be considerate of other visitors. So essentially, if you practice The first six principles of leave no trace you're automatically being considerate of other people you know if you if you poop in a hole rather than just pooping right on the ground that's very considerate of everyone else who comes after you if you if you don't burn down the forest by burning your toilet paper it's very considerate of other visitors Um, the other big part is just being a good ambassador of your sport Um, there's lots of people getting out on our trails and so that can lead to a lot of conflicts between different user groups so we always Mm -hmm. want to encourage people to just be a good representative if you're out backpacking realize that you represent all backpackers. Um, so we definitely teach what's called the yield triangle, um, essentially dictating who, who gives the right of way to someone else. And, mm-hmm. and by yielding, we mean stopping, stepping off the trail on a durable surface, waiting for the other person to pass and then getting back on. What we find a lot of times is that people are yielding, they get off the trail, but then they keep walking and that ends up just widening the trail and creating a lot of vegetation, trampling and erosion. So I always encourage people to stop when they yield. And so essentially, uh, everyone yields to horseback riders. It would be really unreasonable for us to ask someone on a horse to step <laughs> off the side of the trail. It'd be dangerous for them. It'd create a lot of vegetation damage on the side of the trail. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: everyone yields to horseback riders. And the biggest tip that's been passed on to us from the horse, horse packing community is just communicate with the rider. Um, yeah. we find a lot of times don't, people don't know what to do around horses. So they get quiet and just stand there and then the horse freaks out. Mm-hmm. So just announce yourself, say, Hey, how's it going? Where do you want me to stand? One, you're being considerate, you're kind of building a relationship with that person and just being a good ambassador, but you're also letting the horse know that you're a human, and so they mm. automatically put them at, at ease. So just communicate and then find out which side of the trail they want you to stand on. Um, mountain bikers in a perfect world yield to everyone. Danielle and I mountain bike ourselves, and so we try to hop off our bike and let everyone pass every time we're out on the trails, and that's mm. because as mountain bikers, we have mechanical advantage. It's easier for us to get going again. mm
3: mm-hmm. That's not
2: to say that if a mountain biker, if we're out backpacking and a mountain biker is huffing and puffing, coming up the hill behind us, we're not going to say like, nope, sorry, you can't pass. We have right of way. We're going <laughs> to you be know, considerate and, and let them pass us. But really what we're talking about are those, are those downhill mountain bike rides yeah. and just being in control of your speed. At the very least, we want mountain bikers to slow down to a walking pace and be considerate while they pass people. And then with hikers, we say you have to choose because it depends on your direction of travel. So uphill hikers always have the right-of-way, and that's because with uphill hikers, you have momentum. You want to keep it going. It really uh, can add a lot of effort to your trip if you have to stop every time a group of downhill hikers come. So
3: Mm.
2: there's the the momentum factor. There's also a field of vision factor. When you're hiking uphill, maybe it's a steep grade, and you've got a hat on, and you're looking Mm -hmm. down. You do not see people in front of you, and we've definitely run into people um, who didn't yield to us, and we've like bumped into their chest as we're going, so they didn't get out of their way out of our way so we encourage people who are hiking downhill when they see hikers coming up to just step off and let them pass um you know obviously if they want a rest of the uphill hiker and they wave you on that's totally mm-hmm. different the other consideration and this is where it kind of gets back to there are no leave no trace rules if it's just Don yell and i and we're hiking uphill and we come across a group of 10 coming downhill mm-hmm. even though we technically have right of way we'll stop because two of us stepping off trail is less of an impact mm-hmm. to the side of the trail people so again this comes back to critical thinking we want people to just think about their impact make the best decision in the moment and help protect these public places
1: yeah and i i'd say just to kind of kind of wrap up that what i found in my own experience um working for leave no trace and just practicing leave no trace is it it really does deepen your outdoor experience so for anyone who loves backpacking or is just getting into backpacking it's a way to go into these places and think about it differently um yeah. and to put yourself in a in a context of the world that you might not otherwise have seen um or been aware of so i think i think on it on another level um you know it just it just puts you in the moment and it helps you be purposeful about how you recreate um which is really cool
0: man guys that I'm really glad I asked uh, asked that question. I'm glad you guys are willing to run run me through the the seven cool. principles cuz that yeah, was we didn't scare you off, I hope. No, I, I no, I so <laughs> that that's what I was kind of hoping to get is is tangible things that people can and I can tell by the way, I can tell that like you guys are just trying to skim the surface, you know. Like there's probably <laughs> so many you know hours of information within one of those principles like and like we said region to region you know, person to person. I mean, you can tell there's a ton of information. You guys did such an excellent job of, of like going into it and being like, "Cool, here's what you need to know." And then you know, at the end of the episode, we'll we'll kind of hopefully we can have maybe someone look into you guys and and learn more information on those steps or maybe take a class because uh, I just want to say thanks. That was incredible. I have, if you don't mind, I have one question about uh, waste. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs.
1: Yeah, we skimmed over that
0: so. <laughs> So what do um, we do about dogs? Mm.
1: Yeah, um, I can talk yeah, on that. Um, so just to kind of talk about waste before we glaze over it and don't say anything. So we always recommend that you dig a six to eight inch cat hole, um, which is just a hole in the ground that you're going to poop in. You always want to be 70 big steps away from water to help mm-hmm. make sure that we're not polluting our water sources. Um, and the whole idea is that you're, you're going to dig that hole with a trowel or a shovel, something you find at a backpacking store. They're mm-hmm. all over. And a lot of them have rulers on them. So you, you know, sure. don't have to worry about if you know, you're know you six to eight inches deep. Um, but the reason why is because we're really trying to get our waste out of that area as quickly as possible. Um, our, our human waste contains over 100 protozoans, bacteria, and viruses that have been identified. Um, including Giardia and Lamblia. So it really is a health hazard Mm -hmm. to other people and to the environment and to our water sources. Um, We're eating processed food. We're taking medications, all this stuff that really doesn't belong there. So when we dig it and put it into a hole, it's going to decompose in about a year. That's kind of where the, the general understanding of how far away or how long it takes to decompose, depending on a lot of different factors. And then our research is showing some really interesting things around toilet paper. Um, but always the best idea is to pack out toilet paper, no matter where you are, okay. um, to just pack out toilet paper. You can use like a plastic bag with duct tape around it or get like a black bag if you don't want to see your toilet paper. Um, but that really goes a long way. And then we really treat dog waste the same as human waste. Mm -hmm. um so you're not feeding your dog natural food items from the area uh, natural plants and berries and things like that most of the time what's in our dog food is um textured soy protein and yellow dye number five Mm -hmm. and um just really all those things that don't belong there as well so you can dig a a cat hole or a dog hole for (laughs) your dog um (laughs) you still want to get that 70 big steps away from water if you can um but otherwise Kind of the the biggest recommendation is to pack that stuff out. It's yeah. really it's not great. Um, there was a really interesting study done in yeah. Yellowstone uh, in Rocky, Rocky Mountain, Mountain. In,
2: in Rocky Mountain National Park. It was really interesting. The um, biologists in the park collected bear scat and planted it in the park's greenhouses last year, and they yielded over thirteen hundred Oregon grape and choke cherry seedlings just from that bear scat, which was pretty fascinating. <laughs> and to us, and what they found was that the seeds were more likely to germinate when they had passed through the intestine of the bear than if they had just dropped right off the plant. So that to us underscores why it's so important or the big difference between wildlife poop and dog poop is that wildlife are acting as seed dispersal and uh, plant propagation mechanisms. Mm -hmm. They're uh, taking nutrients from the area and returning the same nutrients to the area. What concerns us about dog waste is that it's only adding excess nutrients to the area. There's a lot of, work that's been done that shows that dog waste adds just a huge amount of nitrogen to ecosystems that mm-hmm. makes it easier for invasive species to grow. It uh, contributes to algae blooms and water sources. Dog waste has, again, a lot of harmful bacteria and viruses. A big one is parvo virus, which mm-hmm. is really easily transmitted to other wildlife and other dogs. So um, there's just a lot of dogs getting outside every year. Uh, yeah. To, for as many hikers as there are there's probably almost as many dogs getting out and
3: mm-hmm.
2: um that's a lot of dog poop and so we really encourage people to again think about that cumulative impact and either pack out their dog's waste or if they're in a good spot and they can dig a little hole and, and scoop the dog's waste into that hole that's perfectly acceptable too but um just leaving it out there unchecked where erosion and rain and weathering is going to wash it into water sources and create all of these other different consequences is uh is a really serious risk to our, our water health and the health of our wildlife and even our, our other pets
0: hmm. that is really good to know because that comes across my mind all the time about uh dog waste and just yeah um that's really good to know thanks for touching on that
2: yeah definitely it's, it's tough i mean we're we're dog owners too when mm-hmm. we're not on the road it's uh it's, you know you can't always keep track of where your dog is and yeah. that's again why sometimes it's best to have them on leash in those wild areas but yep. um you do the best you can if you you know if you don't collect 100 percent of the dog poops every time that's okay you don't have to feel guilty about it but we just want people to think about the impact that's being left behind from it
0: i get that i'm getting the feeling um I, when you guys said like there's no black and white rules there's it's kind of like a, I guess maybe this is the wrong way to say it, but it's kind of an idea and it's a concept. It's a new way of thinking. So um, there may not be hard and fast rules, but there's guidelines that help you point, help point you in the right direction on how you might approach a subject that maybe you don't know about. Um, I think you guys have done a good job of, of kind of conveying that, at least to me you have.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it, it totally depends on where you are and what you're doing. So one of the things we really like about the organization is that it's not dogmatic. Mm-hmm. We're not here to wag our finger and be like, you didn't follow leave no trace rule number five. Yeah. Um, it's really about including people in this conversation we're having about how do we protect this place. And with the science that we do have, how do we get people on the spectrum of, you know, low impact? So maybe they're not to to the most minimum they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we get them to start even thinking about these things? Um, so no one came out of the womb knowing Leave No Trace. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's no one out there who is perfect at this stuff. And so if it if you're new to backpacking or if you've been doing it for a long time and you're wondering how to communicate to other people, um, it's been really effective for our organization to meet people where they are yeah. and to, um, to talk to them in a way that's going to help them frame, frame a decision-making framework for this stuff because it really is about having an internal conversation. Mm-hmm. It's about ethics.
3: yeah.
1: And ethics is, is what you do when no one's watching. So we're not going to be out there with you. We'd love to, um, but we might not be there out with you. So we, we just want to make sure that people are, um, you know, able to have some background for decision-making.
0: Awesome. Oh man. Uh, again, that I'm really glad we were able to do this episode because I, I figured there was a ton of information that I needed to know (laughs) and I (laughs) definitely got a really good dose of, 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 some information. And I know there's a ton of additional things that you can probably teach. Um, they would take a lot of hours, but what maybe to close out, what, where do we go from here? If someone's curious about leave no trace wants to learn more, um, you guys are traveling trainers. Clearly, you're doing some training that probably covers a number of different things. But what do we? where do we go from here? How do we get people more information? And what do you guys offer?
2: Yeah, I'd say the easiest thing, right? Like click of a button is go like our Facebook and our Instagram. We're constantly putting out new Leave blogs and articles. Our, each of our traveling teams is responsible for producing one video and one blog every month. So that means that there's four videos and four blogs every month. Coming out about Leave No Trace.
1: That's a a really great way to get, you know, simple tips just in your feed as you're scrolling, things you didn't think of and can click on. So And then
2: definitely I'd I'd encourage people to just hop on our website and see if the traveling trainers are coming near near you. All of our our awareness workshops are always free. There's never a charge to the public to learn about about this Leave No Trace info. So anytime there's an awareness workshop, hop on our website. There's a location finder. You can see what's happening in your state. Um, if people want to get more involved, we have a pretty cool training structure. So Danielle mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we have our master educators at the top level. Those are five day courses where you learn everything, almost everything about leave no trace and then how to teach others how to mm-hmm. teach leave no trace. Um and so anyone who's a master educator can go back to their communities and put on trainer courses, which are two day courses in the field where you're learning how to teach other people about leave no trace.
0: Oh, cool. And so then
2: anyone who's a trainer Anyone who takes that two-day trainer course can go back into their community and put on what are called awareness workshops, which are anywhere from 30 minutes to a full day, anywhere in between, just kind of about the basics of Leave No Trace. I'd say yeah. this podcast is probably an e-awareness workshop.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, what do these classes look like? If someone's like, okay, cool, maybe, uh, maybe I'll, I'll take a, an awareness class. Um, are there different styles of classes, lengths of classes, or what, what's all out there?
2: definitely and it it totally depends on the area that we're in who invited us to do the event a lot of times you know we were in in bishop california last month doing a a workshop Mm -hmm. specifically for bouldering and rock climbing and then Hmm. we go up to olympic national park and we do a workshop just for park rangers on how to better communicate with visitors so every single workshop around the country is, is specifically tailored to that area so um i'd say you're for anyone who's looking at one well, an awareness workshop, you're going to learn how to practice Leave No Trace right in your own
3: backyard. Got it. Cool.
2: Yeah, and I'd
1: say for, I'd say for you know, more advanced people who maybe know a lot about this stuff and just want to learn more, we um, have also been driving a lot more into to effective communication with Leave No Trace. And this is, um, it started as a way that we taught rangers who were, um, who were doing law enforcement on public lands to how to better educate people about whatever was happening instead of just giving them a ticket, but really talking about the resource and and talking about why those laws exist. Mm -hmm. And it's really morphed into this, um, this practice that we teach people how to communicate when you see less than leave no trace moments. So Mm -hmm. maybe you have a friend who will not stop burning trash or, um, you know, you see someone on the trail who's feeding wildlife. And so um, we teach people and empower them to have effective educational conversations um, so that we can drive more people towards this movement and more people towards thinking about those minimum impacts.
2: And so on our YouTube channel, there's actually a video, this technique that Danielle is talking about is called the authority of the resource technique. And there's a, about a four minute video on our YouTube page that walks you through step by step how to have one of these conversations.
0: Cool, man. Yeah. Uh, That's a lot. So, in and, and so if someone wants to do, if someone's like, dude, I want to teach this stuff, this is super cool. Is that a paid course? Do they, do they pay for it? Is that, is that still, um, I mean, how does that happen?
2: Yeah. So the trainer courses, those two day ones depends on the cost will depend on who's okay. putting
3: it on. So Got obviously it.
2: there's, there's only 20 people working for Leave no trace. We're not always the ones putting them on. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they've ranged anywhere from 85 to $120 okay. for that weekend course, similar to, um, you know, any type of like two day yeah. backpacking course that you might take through REI or something.
1: And food and stuff included. Food included.
2: Yeah. And then the five day master educator course, we have, um, contracted master educator course providers, Knowles being one of them, um, SCA being one of the student conservation association, mm-hmm. lots of these different people. And so it'll depend on, on, um, on their costs as well. Like I know Knowles weaves it into their longer courses and you get a master educator out of that. Yeah. Uh, but those week long tend to be anywhere from 400 to 800. So there's a little okay. bit of a cost, but mm-hmm. on our website we do have scholarships available available for folks who can show that they're going to put it to use um, in, a, in an impactful way. Nice. Well, guys,
0: yeah. that is incredible. Um, <laughs> man, I, I know. That, no, I, I'm sure. I, like, I feel like we could probably – do a number of different episodes about this kind of thing, but uh, is there anything that you, that we haven't covered that is on your mind that we need to at least touch on before we wrap up or did you kind of hit the, the important stuff?
1: Um, I think we hit the important stuff, but if it feels valuable to you, um, I just always like to mention Subaru as a partner sure, and yeah. it, it's really, Yeah, it's really kind of interesting because a lot of people, um, like me in particular, when I started this, I'm like, why would a car company be promoting this stuff? Um, And they're really interesting. So Subaru was the the first car manufacturer in the country to go zero landfill. So Mm. it takes less than a cup of coffee, um, trash from a cup of coffee to build any car from their Indiana plant.
2: The Subaru hasn't sent a single thing to the landfill since 2004.
1: And what, why we're mentioning, yeah, why we're mentioning it? The coolest thing is we're actually partnering with them in the national parks, and they're trying to get all the national parks down to zero landfill. So there's a a pilot um, in Grand Teton, Denali, and Yosemite, um, and the whole idea is that our national parks spend billions of dollars just trucking out people's trash. Because usually there's not recycling in those areas. They're so remote. They don't have the type of infrastructure to deal with that stuff. And so Subaru is going in and we're doing a lot of studies on the type of waste that people bring in, um, how we can change behavior on the visitor side, and then also working with um, the concessionaires and and the local community to, um, you know, take that compost or to stop selling single-use water bottles um and all that kind of stuff so it's really interesting what um what they're doing in the national parks just to minimize that waste
3: yeah
2: they're they're just a great partner they're they're the reason why Leave No Trees can kind of have a boots on the ground presence all Mm -hmm. across the country so uh we definitely want to give a shout out yeah to all of our partners
1: so feel free if you don't want to use that you don't have to we're not required to mention them but no i think it's um, great if you find that it fits yes
0: Yeah. Um sweet. Well, there's one last question I want to ask you guys and it's uh you can answer it however you like. Um I like to kind of ask people what their advice is to uh people traveling in the backcountry. This is a backpacking podcast, so um I'm sure you guys have done your fair share of adventuring. Uh what's like maybe one each of you can go, what is your like one tip or what's your advice to people like uh going into the backcountry trying to get into it? hmm do you have like a thing yeah, trying to think back
3: on
2: trying to think back on trips that we've taken
3: um
2: no. i don't
1: know my big my big one is definitely for women okay um my my big one is don't wear thongs <laughs> because chasing is real it's um a real and so wear wear full-bodied underwear when you go oh, back talking my... oh,
0: that's a good one <laughs>
2: And then I would say just uh, enjoy your morning coffee. Yeah, take a look around at the place that you're in and savor and it uh, because the backcountry is a pretty special place that
3: mm-hmm.
2: not a lot of people in our country get to
0: experience. So just enjoy that coffee and look around. <laughs> uh, do you bring your own coffee? Do you like a Starbucks via? We it depends on how, uh, how far we're going. How far we're going? Okay.
2: We we've been turned on to this new stuff called Alpine Start. Oh. Okay. Um which I think it tastes it's the same like weight as Via, but I think it tastes a little bit better.
0: I think okay. they're out of Colorado. Nice. Um
2: otherwise we have like the G S I like clip to your top of your mug yeah. or over a thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sweet coffee and talk uh, about here for another couple hours. Right, yeah. so we covered uh, yeah. not wearing thongs and uh, coffee. Sweet, <laughs> I love it, dude. Chafing's real. I agree. Yeah. I've like when I was <laughs> hiking last year on the trail, I saw some pretty bad chafing on a number of people, and I was like, ooh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you do the PCT last year? I did. Yeah. Nice. As oh, much as we're, it I from,
2: we're from the Tahoe area originally, so it passes right through there.
0: Yeah, I was able to do uh, just over 2,000 up miles of it in snow, high snow year. Ended up going around the Sierra, yeah. and then by the time I got, which a lot of people did, either you waited, it was yeah. either you waited to wait till the snow melted, or went around and um, came back. And people that waited right. uh, got burned out in Oregon and Washington, and the people that went around. Uh, but at least for the, for me, I, I didn't have enough time to go back and do the Sierra range. So I'll have to go back sometime.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the Sierras are, uh, you know, the whole thing is awesome, but you gotta get back and do the Sierras for sure.
0: For for sure. Yeah. I plan on, I think I was thinking about, you know, maybe doing like a John Muir trail escapade of sorts to kind of make up for that. Yeah. Yeah,
2: definitely. Even like, uh, uh, if you're short on time, uh, a couple of years ago, I hiked the Tahoe Rim Trail, which is oh, 170 yeah. miles of from Tahoe. Uh, yeah. That was just a great, like, just, if you've got limited amounts of time, mm-hmm. if you got, like, a week and a half free, go do that.
1: And a great, for your listeners, it's a great kind of intro to backpacking as well, because oh, okay. you're never yeah. too far, you're never too far from...
2: You're, at most, like, a day and a half away from civilization mm-hmm. at any given point, so for,
0: like, a first through hike, the Tahoe Rim Trail is a, a Perfect intro through hike. Nice. Good tip. Sweet. I'll keep it in mind. Yeah. Well, um,
2: on an unrelated note, we are um, playing around with creating a Leave No Trace podcast, and we'd love to, you know, I know we want to be respectful of your time, but at some point we'd love to pick your brain about how you organize all this, what type of equipment you need yeah. to record. We we have no idea what we're doing, so we're trying to get a better idea before we dive into it.
0: Heck yeah. Uh, it's it's not as complicated as what you'd think, and uh, it's super fun. <laughs> oh um there's a ton of information out there uh but i could i'd be more than happy to point you in the right direction cool yeah that'd be great dude guys thank you so much i can't even tell you how much i appreciate you coming on and uh sharing the knowledge and the time the time is a big one so i appreciate it
3: yeah thanks yeah, for having us We're thank you so to to chat with you
0: That is it for episode 39 with Leave No Trace. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, yeah, if you're going out for the weekend or a week or whenever you get this podcast, be safe, enjoy yourself, and maybe try implementing some of the things that Anna and Danielle have covered today. If you want more information, hit them up at their social media and their website and all that kind of good stuff. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at byland.co. But until next time, stay safe, uh, make good choices. We'll see you next time. (laughs)